Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, True Roger fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're talking with uscfootball.com beat, reader, beat writers with me, Dan Weber, and columnist. Um, all about the USC, of course, beating UCLA. That was going to be the main topic this week, but we got thrown a, uh, a curveball yesterday, and Clay Helton named the permanent head coach, so we're going to talk all about that. We've got a lot of questions to get to. We'll try to get to all of them. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can give us a call at 641 641- 715-3900, extension 816-646, or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail there. If you want to subscribe, go to iTunes.com slash Podcast. Leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. And let's bring in Dan Weber. Dan, another crazy day around USC. We're used to it by now. Yeah, I mean, if we're not used to it by now, we're not paying attention. <laughs> that, uh, you know, <laughs> Two days, you know, two out of three days, you got, you know, winning the uh, first ever Pac-12 South Championship that they can count and going to the first uh, ever Pac-12 Championship game and uh, getting a permanent uh, head football coach. And it's just like, yeah, just another kind of weekend for USC. I mean, yeah, that's just the way it goes. I mean, the news volume that USC generates compared to, I mean, we, we, we kid about USC and the other teams in the Pac-12, but, you know, they they get as many five stars as the whole rest of the league probably. They, uh, you know, probably uh, generate as much news as the other 11 teams in the rest of the league. Uh, it's just pretty amazing, and it, it, it never changes. It doesn't almost matter each year how the year goes. Something happens, and USC's in the news and on the front page. Certainly is. Um, okay, well, so we're going to split this up. Well, let me thank our sponsor first, Michael Moline Real Estate. We got to see him over the weekend. If you're in SoCal somewhere and you need help with real estate, go to michaelmolinerealestate.com or call him at 310-275-4688. He's a great Trojan and loves USC. He's at all the USC home games. We see him on some road games as well. So thanks for Michael, and I hope you guys can check him out. Give him a call, michaelmolinerealestate.com. And, Dan, so we have a lot of questions on the coaching stuff and, and UCLA. So I thought we'd start with the UCLA topic, and then we'll get to the coaching stuff. Is that cool? Very good. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll start. We got Nick in Cyprus. He says, what is your opinion, uh, what in your opinion was the difference why USC won Saturday compared to the last three years against UCLA? Well, I think they made an athlete against the athlete. Uh, they said, see if your athletes are better than our athletes. They didn't make it about the coach outsmarting anybody. Turned out he did, but that wasn't the point. The point was, we think our athletes can be your athletes. We think our uh, our defensive line can stop the run. We think our uh, front seven can give, and even with some secondary guys and blitzes, we think we can give you enough different looks uh, uh, for a freshman quarterback and Josh Rosen that are going to cause you some problems. And we think our secondary can match you and we can go man-to-man pretty much the whole way. We, we don't think he can, you know, beat us athletically. And that's exactly how it turned out. And, and we think we can run the ball against you, uh, you know, against your defensive front. 
and we think we can block it even with a fourth-string guy at center, uh, you know, coming in and having to take over. And uh, with, a, you know, Chris Brown, who's uh, just getting his second start or whatever at guard, uh, we still, that didn't change anything. Uh, we know what we're going to do. We know how we got to win the game. And USC went into that game with an identity. This is who we are. This is how we beat you. And that's been the case flipped around the last three times where it was UCLA that knew who it was. UCLA was the physical team. I mean, I think the Bruins fans are still in kind of a state of shock that they were just left, you know, kind of lying on the on the turf there and really obviously didn't want any part of that last drive. But by the end of the game, they just wanted it over. And uh, I, I, I think there are an awful lot of USC fans that didn't uh, expect to ever see that. So, you know, it was that's basically it. You know, knowing who you are and then going out and doing what you know you can do and, you know, no screwing around. It wasn't about uh, Coach showing you how smart he was by coming up with new plays and all that stuff. Nah, nah, forget that. That just goes away. You don't need to do that. And that's been kind of the way USC's kind of been leading is more, let's show how smart the coach is. Nah, you, you didn't need to do that. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's go. This is SC Made. He wrote in, I watched the game with two buddies, an SEC guy and a Big 12 guy. They were blown away at how physical USC was with the run game and the run defense. They said it was night and day difference from what they'd watched the last four to six years with Kiffin and Sark. With Stanford uh, being so light on the defensive line and the success we've had running the ball, do you expect Clay to beat down the trees and impose our will by running the ball and wearing them out? We love all the work you guys do. Thanks. Fight on. Let's get. Uh, let's take back our conference from SC Made. Yeah, I think uh, you know that's a good point. And and uh, you know they did play you know power football, but they also played. This is what we do well. This is who we are. You know, we're not a finesse blocking team. We're probably not a you know the greatest stretch uh, play blocking team. But line them up and 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 knock people off the line of scrimmage. And uh, you know uh, Zach Banner can do that. Uh, uh, I'm thinking basically who doesn't do that? Damien, Damien does it. Gianni does it. Um, uh, I thought, uh, uh, Chad Wheeler looked like he was, you know, really getting some punch there. And then here comes, uh, you know, like Khalil, I think, you know, it's amazing how he's been able to play with his shoulders. And then you get, uh, you know, Nico comes in there and he's, you know, barely 280 pounds. He didn't have any problems at all. I mean, he was, it was amazing. You know, he's got really good body uh, lean and pad level and technique, uh, but uh, he's, you know, he might be the best Western center that has ever played in the Pac-12 I mean, in, in terms of you know, that game. Uh, he, and he's so confident, and he, he knew what he was doing. Uh, so, yeah, I would think you just want to do what you do well. Now, I think, you know, Stanford's got some problems at the corners also. So it'll be interesting to see. But if you can run the ball on Stanford, you really ought to be able to throw the play action. So, I mean, you would think that that's what you want to do. And, um, you know, Stanford's defense hasn't been exactly shutting people down. Now, unfortunately, USC got all screwed up at Oregon against a defense that hadn't been shutting anybody down, made them look like world beaters. So, uh, you got to show up and you got to play and, you know, you got to be smart and you got to execute. But um, uh, I wouldn't think they're going to change a whole lot. You, you don't 
you know, you don't have to change a whole lot. This is who you are. And if you change a lot, you're, you're going away from who you are. So I think they know now this is, you know, this is how we win football games. This is who we are, and we're going to do that. We're not going to say, oh, we can't do that because they're, you know, better than we are. They're more physical than we are. You can't say that. Just cannot say that. You got to be yourself. And I think the other thing is you got to be under, under um, you know, Sergeant Lane, they tended to think and talk like counterpunchers. We're going to figure out what they do, and then we're going to adjust, and we're going to react or whatever. And I'd much rather be the puncher, you know, go out there and punch them and see how they adjust, see how they react. Uh, pretty obviously, UCLA didn't. And, you know, I, I think sometimes you get in these Stanford games and, and you, uh, you know what they're going to do, and they do it well. And uh, you don't have to say, oh, we're going to react to that. No, you say, we're going to go out and do what we do well also and see how you react to it. That, that's kind of my, my general take on this whole gotcha. thing. Uh, Mar- I don't know if you know this one. Marcel wanted to know, well, he said, there's a female referee and she's not making very many calls. Do you know who she is? You know, line judge that was uh, at the UCLA game? Yeah, I think uh, that's what he's talking I about. Ever, I don't think we've ever gotten her name. The Pac-12 is really unusual. I mean, when I covered the uh, SEC and the Big Ten, you know, they had, they had, you know, media guides. They had, you know, you would know who all the officials were and where they were from and all that. I mean, you've got to go online uh, or, go, you know, Google and you life or death, uh, you know, find out who's, you know, why there's kind of this secrecy around the Pac-12. But I don't think they publicize much that uh, – that I, I honestly think there's two, there are two in the Pac-12 now because I, I don't think we had seen that crew uh, before. But uh, um, but the Pac-12 has kind of chosen not to uh, not to publicize the fact that they have uh, you know you know female uh, officials working now. Yeah, it's uh, I thought that was interesting. Um... It didn't look, I don't know. I mean, I, it, we we kind of watched the officials a lot from the press box, but I know you, you had mentioned it when we were up there. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, she was in uh, a couple of plays. I mean, uh, there was one that I'm not sure she got there in time to, to get a really good spot on it, but other times I thought she uh, did a pretty good job. So, uh, you know, uh, the one good thing is if you work your way in in the Pac-12, you're probably not going to stand out as one of the really bad officials uh, <laughs> because, you know, uh, that may be the best place in, the, in America for, um, you know, new, uh, and all new officials, you know, have to work their way in. But new, and if they happen to be female, you know, they won't they won't necessarily stand out. Uh, so, so I thought, you know, she... I think she w- missed one spot that I, I remarked on, but uh, yeah, I remember that, that didn't yeah. uh, make me, uh, you know, notice her, which is obviously the best way you can be an official is if nobody pays much attention to you, um, you're doing good. Um, Robert in Virginia says, what a glorious day to be a Trojan. I'd have to admit I was too scared to watch the game, so I don't know what USC did differently on defense against UCLA. What adjustments did they make since last week? Thanks, fight on, and beat Stanford. Well, they weren't in any of those, you know, zones or combination zones where you everybody was looking at somebody and saying, huh, should we have had a defensive back within 20 yards of that guy that just caught the touchdown? Yeah, I think we probably should have. So, you know, when you, you, you basically go out and say, we're going man-to-man, 
and uh, this is your job, and you're going to stay with these uh, people until the play is over. And that'll also help us play the run because, if, you know, if it's a run play, chances are you're, you know, the guy's going to have to try to block you, and uh, you're in the vicinity. Uh, so there are a lot of ways, but they just were more, more aggressive. Uh, the defensive line just, and for those who don't know, they uh, released the Pac-12, all Pac-12 uh, uh, teams this afternoon. And uh, I know there are people who say, oh, you know, these defensive linemen have been disappointed and blah, blah, blah. But uh, Antoine Woods was, with, was named first team all Pac-12 and Delvon Simmons second team. So the two of you two guys in there, you Greg Townsend Jr. has been playing as well as anybody in recent weeks. So if, uh, if those guys got the job done uh, enough to, you know, be uh, selected all Pac-12, uh, it, it's certainly been a work in progress. It's been getting better and better and better, and uh, you know, tribute to to uh, Coach Wilson and uh, possibly, uh, you know, the, the change in attitude with uh, Clay Helton coming in and uh, and being more, you know, aggressive and more physical and more, you know deciding more that we got to stop the run if we're going to, and this is from the USC's perspective, saying to themselves, we have to stop the run. And you notice that in the 9-on-7 every day is there, it's more serious uh, uh, competition because they're trying to run the ball and they're also trying to stop the run. And that makes it a really worthwhile, uh, you know, practice. And, and that, of all the things that they're doing in practice, the thing that has jumped out since Clay's been the coach has been the nine on seven. It's much more intense and serious, and both sides are really trying to get something out of it, and uh, that's uh, that's why you practice. We got one here from Donnie, Dan. He said, I'm very critical of evaluating philosophy, culture, approach, and talent in general. One of the things that hasn't made sense all year is the approach of choosing how you are going to get beat. I work in player development for a major league baseball organization, and manage a minor league team. And one of the things I've always had to do from from a pitching and defensive approach is to make sure if we get beat, it's because we challenged them and they earned everything. We don't go through a lineup getting beat with our off speed early in the game, much like coming out, rushing three, and playing zone. For the first time since Clancy, I watched the team line up, rush four to five, play man coverage all day. It's not only the, the schematics of it, but it's the culture that spreads for being so confident in winning your one-on-one battles. Here's Jim Morris' quote. When you're playing a defense like that, that's got, that's going to try to put in their heads on, I'm sorry. He said, when you're playing a defense like that, that's going to try to put their heads on you, or hands on you, excuse me, there was a typo there, cover you tight, force you to throw, not run. You have to be pinpoint accurate and you have to win some one-on-one battles. To go in any other direction than making this your exact approach, every game would be foolish. I understand. There are five wide teams in certain times to get into a zone, but I would love your guys' thoughts on this defensive approach. Thanks from Donnie. Yeah, Donnie, uh, great insight. Uh, I know baseball is a whole different thing, uh, but the idea of, uh, you know, throwing your best punch and seeing if they can hit it uh, and making them beat you with your good stuff and don't concede anything and uh, see what happens. And, and what happened was... UCLA didn't handle it, didn't want to handle it, didn't know how to handle it. Now, it might have been, you know, there's some advantage in uh, having not done that very much. I don't think they were ready for that much man. 
I don't think they were ready for USC's uh, secondary to be as, as confident as they are. One of the words, for example, I kept hearing after practice today, the word was trust. How much they trusted, A, in their own talent, B, in their coaches, and how much their coaches trusted the players. And, and that sends a message. And I think last year, for example, in the UCLA game, they changed things up the week of the UCLA game. They went in and tried to do a bunch of different stuff. And they basically, while they came into the game, I would have picked them as having had a slightly better year than UCLA had last year uh, going into that game. But they tried to change what they were doing, and it sent a message to these players that what you're doing isn't good enough. And then they didn't have enough time to really get, you know, what they wanted to change in a week. Um, and it was a disaster. And, uh, you know, we've seen that too often in this UCLA. Well, this time, as you said, you know, give them your, your best stuff and see if they can hit it, uh, you know, like uh, you want your pitchers to do. And, and don't beat yourself. Don't concede them anything. And if you're USC, you ought to be able to do that. With as many, even during the sanctions, with as many, you know, good recruiting classes, with more five-star players than the entire rest of the Pac-12 had recruited, with all the kinds of things you got going for you, um, USC ought to be able to do that more often than not, to be honest, uh, and just say, I mean, just, I watched uh, today's practice and how Biggie Marshall, he looks like a new player now. I mean, we always thought, you know, in the summer and that he had stuff to learn, but that he was a kid that really wanted to learn and had a lot of ability. And to see where he is now, you know, 10 days after the Oregon game, having had that confidence, uh, you know, put into him in, in terms of, you know, we're going to trust you to make those plays. I mean, even if you, you know, you, you get beat on a play, or like Sua did maybe a little bit on the touchdown, whether he actually got beat or just it was a great play, uh, you trust those guys to come back, and you trust Sidney to come back, and they kept coming back because they were being trusted. And uh, I think that's the message you send, and I think you're exactly right. That was the message they sent, and uh, it's like it works to me. All right, um, so let's switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk coaching. <laughs> okay. uh, the big news that Clay Helton was named the permanent head coach uh, Monday morning. Um, so we'll go through some of the questions. We've got people on both sides of this, so I'll play a voicemail one for you first, Dan. This is Nick from London. This message is for Ryan or Dan Weber. Can someone please help me understand what team nation in the top 50 would ever hire Coach Helton to be the head coach. Now, I think Helton is a great man, awesome guy, could be a great leader down the road, but USC is a top-four job. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Memphis doesn't even want to hire him. They offered the defensive coordinator for, for Missouri. So please, please, please help me understand why USC is even thinking about hiring Helton. And this is even before we beat Stanford. Please don't. Fight on. Well, I think he was such a breath of fresh air after what had gone through here the last five years. I don't think there's any question. They learned their mistake, uh, you know, with Ed. And here, let's face it, this is a program that's hired two coaches to be fired. I mean, that's almost impossible. In midseason, I mean, so the two people they went out and hired, they ended up having to fire in midseason. And yet, kind of the decision making group 
is pretty much the same group that had to do that. So that would give you a little pause to say, wow, you know, we didn't get it right those last two hires. Are we going to get this one right? Uh, and then they say, basically, well, we do have the benefit, the advantage of a guy who's been here for this long. We know none of the issues that, you know, forced us to fire the previous two coaches are present. We know that he's turned things around in midseason. He's changed the way they approach football, changed their identity, changed their, uh, you know, I don't know, we were talking with Ryan before, I don't know if he's exactly changed the culture, but he's changed the, the basic approach. And, and this is a team that has an identity now. And uh, it's an identity, and, and now you may say nobody else in the top 50 would hire him, and USC could look at that and say, yeah, but he wasn't working at any of those 60. They didn't get to know him. Uh, there are people who know football far better than any of us and know USC far better than any of us who went to bat for what Clay Helton has done in the last seven weeks and went to, the, went to bat really hard for him and really believe in him because they're seeing something that they haven't seen uh, you know, years and years and years, not even the way at the end of the Pete Carroll years. So we'll see, you know, how this turns out. But, you know, in some ways you could look at it and say, would USC have been able to come up with the right guy? Uh, I'm not sure, based on the hiring of the, uh, the basketball coach and, and the whole issues involved there and, and just the way this process went, I don't have a great deal of confidence that maybe that would have worked out anyway. So uh, letting these guys, you know, loose with a bunch of agents, that's kind of like tossing them into the shark pool. Uh, <laughs> I'm just not sure that that this is the way to go. I think Clay has the ability to be one of those guys who's a better overall coach, head coach, and maybe he even was, you know, was as, as a coordinator. Now, obviously, I think it was pretty hard to be a coordinator under two guys who wanted to call their own plays, thought they were the smartest play callers in the history of the world, and saw football at USC going in a different direction. Clay, now we see, he didn't want to go in that direction completely and um, had some, you know, some different ideas. He's been pretty pitch perfect in terms of, the way he read his kids, he had some bumps in the road in terms of game plan. I thought, you know, the, the Oregon game plan was wretched. I thought they didn't have anything right, uh, either side of the ball. But uh, uh, one of the, you know, it wasn't like Pete Carroll didn't have a few of those games. He sure did. Uh, but uh, I think the thing that impresses you is he came back from it. He learned from it. That, you know, that effort against UCLA – was uh, as focused and as smart and fit the talent that he's got as you could possibly ask for. Uh, so, I mean, and, and the kids, you don't fool these kids. Sure, they like that because, he, you know, he was coming on the heels of Lane. They loved um, uh, Clay because, you know, he's coming on the heels of Sark. And, you know, we'll never know all the issues that were involved, you know, in having coaches with, the kinds of problems that, you know, those USC coaches had uh, 
but I think these kids want adult supervision, and um, they feel like they've got it. So I'm not sure. It's kind of like recruiting, you know, the five stars and, and getting completely, you know, hung up on five star this or five star that. Uh, Clay might be one of those guys that, um, you know, is he's the next man up, and uh, you just never know. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, you look at around the, the country. And guys need to take, you know, their, you know, advantage of their ability. I mean, a Nick Saban, you know, some like five, seven and a half defensive back out of Kent State, and he gets in the right place, and uh, boom, you know, he gets his opportunity. You have uh, Urban Meyer, you know, played at Cincinnati. I mean, I just happen to know these guys because, you know, I'm from back there. But these are not guys that until they became, you know, they got the opportunity. You weren't going to hire any of them. Now they're, you know, the great, great coaches. But, uh, you know, and they go back to John McKay, you know, out of West Virginia, played at, you know, Purdue and Oregon and, uh, you know, through the war and, you know, comes back and he's just, you know, assistant coach from Oregon. And uh, he has a couple of rough years to start and they hung in there with him one more year. So you just never know. I, I think it's, there are such hardened opinions about this is absolutely you know, the case, and absolutely this wouldn't, you know, happen or absolutely that. I just think Clay is a chance, and that's better than the last two guys. He has a chance. And at least at USC, this kind of adult supervision and, and honestly dealing with the players and understanding how you win football games at USC there's a lot to be said for that. So uh, I wouldn't get too down about it at this point in time. I think the adult supervision p- point might be the answer to Tark's question. Who's He's he's un, very unhappy with uh, USC. I think he's renounced his um, his fan, fandom, actually, on the message boards. But he said, yeah. I'm curious why you really like Clay Helton, but criticize Steve Sarkeesian at every turn. Both have done about the same losing big to one rival, beating another, and losing games they shouldn't have. Uh, that's a fact. P.S., this is not a personal attack. I always enjoy your commentary, but disagree with you strongly here. That's Tarek. Well, uh, I don't think, for example, I don't think their approach to the game is the same. I, I don't, you know, you know, Sark might have talked about uh, being physical, but he, I don't, it didn't look like he really believed it or understood how to do it. Uh, I think we're seeing if you can turn a team around kind of in the middle of the season, he turned them around in a couple of days for Notre Dame. I mean, uh, you know, I thought that was remarkable uh, half of football that they played at Notre Dame. You know, they didn't have enough time to get them completely turned around, but, you know, Notre Dame had a really good football team and they had a really good game. And here's USC leading it going into the fourth quarter. So, I mean, he did things that, uh, I don't think it's very easy to do what Clay did. So, so I don't think they were comparable. I think, you know, I think, uh, Sark had a, had a chance and, uh, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't, he had every chance to turn this into a, a really good situation for himself. His record at, at, at Washington kind of was almost enough to tell you, okay, this is how he's going to go about things. And I didn't think that that was, that really fit the USC model. Uh, 
it just wasn't going to be good enough. And, and kind of the pattern at, at Washington, you know, carried over to USC. And there was a, you know, a sloppiness and a lack of attention to detail and uh, uh, uncertainty about where the team was each week. And uh, there's just a lot of little things and, and, you know, the need to kind of uh, show how smart the coach was and, and that kind of thing. I don't see any of that in Clay. I, I just don't have any sense, you know, that, that he's going to try to adjust every week to the other team. Uh, he basically is going to say, let's see us and, and, you know, know who we are and know how we win football games. Sure, you got to, you know, know who you're playing and, and understand all that. But I think the focus uh, – and not be a counterpuncher. I, I really didn't like, uh, you know, the start – Kind of, we're gonna go, you know, start over every. As much as he said, it's you know, we pay, these teams are nameless that we play. His basic philosophy was to uh, adjust to what they did, and you know, if, if it changed a lot week to week, well, that's just what you did. And I, I just don't think that's how you win football games. I don't think you've got enough time uh, with these kids to try to change them week after week after week. I think you basically have to be yourself. And you have to make that work uh, week after week after week. So, so I, Tarek, I don't really see the connection in terms of how they approach uh, football uh, between, uh, you know, Clay and, and Sark. I just think they're, they're, they're going about it two different ways. And, and I'm not the only one that's thinking this. I mean, you could get out a list of USC, look at the USC Hall of Fame football players or look at the NFL Hall of Fame football players. If you want to make some calls to them, you can talk to a few of them and ask them what they think. And um, they are there are some people that every one of us know who just think that that Clay has absolutely the right uh, approach to this, and he's exactly the right guy for USC right now. So, you know, there's a lot of difference of opinions out there, but uh, uh, it's we're not the only ones that like the way Clay approaches it, whether, you know, now there are a lot of things you got to do as a head football coach. He's never hired anybody, never fired anybody. Got to do both. Uh, that's not going to be as easy. And, you know, putting together a staff is really, really important. I mean, this is to say, you know, there are guys out there with track records, uh, you know, doing that, that are pretty, uh, you know, tough-minded and, you know, cutthroat, if you will. And uh, can he be that guy? Okay, that's one of the things you're you're taking a little bit of a chance on, and I'm sure they have talked to him about that, and I'm sure they know exactly what his approach is going to be. We don't. He's not in a position where he can talk about that. But uh, that's the one area I think you got to say, well, let's see how that goes. Uh, let's go. Juice in San Diego. He said, do the players and recruits actually influence Pat Hayden's decision in picking Helton? That doesn't make sense. USC being USC. If they hired a first-tier big-name coach like Harbaugh or Del Rio or Kelly, etc., the recruits, even disgruntled by Helton not being hired, would have eventually been excited by the big-name hire and eventually signed because USC is USC. Do you agree? Or did the players and recruits need to be appeased? Thanks, Juice in San Diego. Yeah, I don't think that had anything to do with it. I agree with you. Uh, I don't think it hurt that the players were as adamant as they were about uh, – you know, about Clay. I, I don't think there's any question. And I do think it hurt maybe Lane at the end where they get messages from high school saying, 
you know, we don't mind if you send Coach O over or we don't mind if you send T over, but don't send Lane over. We don't want to see him. Uh, that probably wasn't a good thing, okay? So, I mean, if you get to that point, uh, you're going to let, the, you know, the recruits and the prospects and all that, they might have some, you know, impact on, on what you're going to do about a coach. Uh, I don't think it hurt him that the players were, you know, as adamant as they were, but we know if they would have brought in, one of those guys, uh, uh, the players would have been thrilled to death, too. I mean, you know, it's just, just the way it is. But let's face it, there's still guys that were talking, you know, last week about, you know, Coach O. I mean, they still miss Coach O and uh, really appreciate Coach O. So that's not a bad thing to you know, be that kind of a guy uh, that they appreciate. And I think one of the things they appreciate with Clay is he's such a straight shooter. I mean, he really, he's not saying one thing to one guy and something else to somebody else. And he's not telling you one thing one week and something else the next week. And um, I, I think they, they really, really appreciate that. He is what he is. He is who he is. And what you see is what you get. And he's not trying to show you he's the smartest guy in the world. He doesn't really need that. And uh, I think they really like that. So uh, I think that's the kind of relationship. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good one, actually. I think it's a really good one. Here's an interesting one from Justin. He said, it seems to me uh, that Clay Helton was the best choice. He's proven he can win against all odds, and now he'll have a chance to prove he can win with his staff. Uh, with that said, I also get the impression that the complainers are also right because Pat Hayden made the decision for all the wrong reasons. He did it because it was easy. And he was afraid the fans would go nuts if he repeated the Coach O debacle, etc. Am I wrong, or are both of these somehow true? From Justin. Yeah, you, absolutely. I mean, sometimes you know it's better to be lucky than you know whatever, uh, and uh, you can do both. And uh, uh, I think that's a that's a pretty good way to say it. I think uh, uh, the search didn't have to be a good one, and it still could get the right result. Uh, you know, it's that whatever. You know, just because, uh, uh, just because, what is it? Just because you're paranoid, that doesn't mean they're not out to get you. They still are, you know, you can have two of those things existing, uh, you know, simultaneously. And I, I think, you know, this could be one where, um, you know, the, uh, the process wasn't perfect. I think Bruce Shelton made, made that point that some of the, uh, the angst and some of the, uh, unhappiness with, uh, Clay's selection is more about the process and about how they perceive, you know, that it went as opposed to anything to do with Clay. So I, I think that's a good observation, and uh, I think you might be onto something. You know, Stephen Poway wrote kind of a long rant, um, not happy with the uh, Clay Helton hire. I'm going to read one part of it because we've talked about a bunch of the stuff already. But he said, the right decision, ma- excuse me, the right decision-making process is this. Who is the coach you would least like to face as a competing coach in the coming year? Is the answer to that really Clay Helton? Or would it be Chip Kelly, John Harbaugh, John Gruden? I rest my case. Stephen Poway. Yeah, I I don't know how you look at that. Uh, There is a learning curve. And you've got, you know, you bring one of those guys in, they're probably going to bring in a lot of their own assistants. I mean, one of the negatives I thought last year that hurt Sark a lot was, he brought in, you know, uh, a bunch of his own guys, and then he had to go out and hire a couple of new guys. And, 
it really took him. He had never gone through a season with uh, uh, limited scholarship, and I thought he really didn't get the right answers. And I, I that was one of the reasons I was really strong for keeping the staff together that had kind of righted things after Lane got fired. Uh, because they, they'd been through two limited scholarship seasons and they wouldn't have had a learning curve. Uh, and it's one of the, the real pluses here is, uh, there's no learning curve, uh, not much of a learning curve for next year. And I know people are way over focused on the Alabama game, but, uh, you may be in better shape to win into that Alabama game. And I think this is a team that if you look at the team on paper with all the young, you know, talent on this USC team, I don't think it's wrong to say they're probably going to be the pick to win the Pac-12. I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's going out on the limb. I think they absolutely are. And that's the case. You win the Pac-12 next year. Uh, let's say you, and you, you go against an Alabama that's probably going to have the least amount of talent they've ever had. And with Nick Saban there. So if next year is the year, uh, maybe you don't want a, a big, big, big learning curve. Now, obviously, I do not agree that next year should have been the determining factor for anything. It's the program and in the long run. But next year could be a big determining factor in terms of the program and in the long run of the program. I mean, I, I think it was you know obvious the turnaround year with Pete. This is second season, and you almost have to count that as uh, Clay's second season. And if they make the big turnaround, and uh, you know, get it moving in the right direction, you know you got you've got a chance. Uh, everything is kind of lined up next season to give you that chance. And yeah, is that a, ch- a chance that one of the big name guys could have come in here and taken advantage of? Maybe, but you bring in Chip Kelly. Uh, you know, and at the reported now, ten million dollars a year. Hell, how much money you got to pay? You know, assistants. You, you know, you hire high school coaches out of out of L.A., uh, you know, with what's left over. And do you change how you're going to play the game and, and what style and who's playing where and all that kind of thing? Uh, I don't think this is a, 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 you know, this is a chance to be a good move. I, I guess, you know, all you can ask for at this point in time, I mean, it is the move. I mean, the move is made. So, they know, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, even when, and I would have to tell myself this. I know, I tell myself, it's Lane Kiffin. I know. I know the problems. I know the issues. He is the coach. Maybe. Maybe it'll work. And obviously, for more than a half a season in 2011, it worked. He got out of the way. He had the right players. They did the right thing. He didn't screw it up. Um, obviously, to me, that team probably should have been undefeated and had a chance to win the national championship. But at least it was possible a little bit, even with someone who had the kinds of issues that Lane had. So at this point, I think arguing about all of that other stuff is kind of beside the point. I mean, it's over. You know, now it's how do you make this really work uh, and be as good as it can be? And... Uh, I think that's where you got to go. And I thought today at practice, for example, it was so little focused on that part of it and the coach. It was more, how do you, you know, how do you get ready to beat Stanford Saturday? And uh, I think that's kind of maybe where it's got to go at this point because uh, Chip Kelly isn't coming. Yeah. 
We have a couple more, and we'll let you go, Dan. Sir Eric of Troy. He says, Dan, uh, I'm just not very pleased with the hiring of Clay Helton or the timing of the announcement. He may get totally outcoached this Saturday by Shaw and our, do- our doors get blown off. That would kill any and all optimism. Uh, they could have waited. I like Clay personally and thank him for what he's done thus far. However, I don't believe any man with a total of eight games experience as head coach should be at the controls of a program like USC. Please see. Uh, please ask Dan these two questions for me. One, is there any way to find out who else, if anyone, Pat Hayden actually interviewed? And two, with Helton being such a quote-unquote nice guy, do you think he will have the grit necessary to clean house, starting with Wilcox and Connolly, and bring us a better staff than Sar- the Sarkeesian bunch we currently have? Uh, love the show, Ryan. Play, uh, planning to fight on for old SC, even through teary eyes, Sir Eric of Troy. Yeah, Rough. Eric, uh, <laughs> I think that good part there, I... I... My guess is he does, but I can't back that up. Uh, I, I think he's pretty clear-sighted about it. Uh, but, um, but the whole camping thing, I think, is, you know, I watch different coaches and what happened when the staff changed. And uh, um, I noticed that, for example, uh, covered Penn State a little bit, and once the whole thing with uh, Joe and his staff started they started moving on out, and we had the whole, you know, Jerry Sandusky, all of that stuff. And you could tell this was not going to go and end well. It was just the same thing, you know, different nature happened with Bobby Bowden when those guys like Mark Ritz and all of those guys started getting jobs other places. And you realize this is not going to, you know, go well. So you know um, uh, staffing really, really matters. Uh Programs that have been able to keep, you know, the assistance together and keep that stability in Oregon, which through a, a number of coaches have kept those assistants there. Uh, uh, Nebraska over years kept those guys there, and um, and that really mattered. Uh, USC hasn't been able to do that, and building the staff and then really keeping them there is going to be a, a major uh, you know, part of, of what uh, Clay has to do. And again, he hasn't done that, and um, he hasn't fired, he hasn't hired, and uh, that's a big challenge. Uh, if you've got a clear enough vision of who you are and how you want your team to be, which he's shown that he does have that, now can you take it to that next level in terms of um, you know coaching personnel? I mean, to be honest, as, as with all the problems Lane Kevin had, he really brought in some good coaches, and. Uh, you know, that's a whole different skill set. Uh, so, so we'll see where that goes. But I think, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, that's something to be determined. Uh, the second part of it, uh, I'm, I'm going to depend on you, Ryan, to remind me what the second part of that is. Oh, about the, was. uh, who was actually interviewed. Oh, okay. That's why I put that off. We're not <laughs> sure anybody was directly interviewed. Yeah. I think it was a lot uh, of agents talking to agents, talking like kind of putting feelers of, out. Yeah, a lot of people speaking for people. But I'm not sure. But you see today, like all the reports anyway. today, there's so many people being interviewed. There was like Sonny Dykes interviewing from Missouri. Like those are the kind of reports that you just didn't see around USC. Like it, it doesn't seem like it seems like back channel stuff was going on, but not like he didn't interview several candidates, like sit down and interview. I just don't believe that at all. I don't think so either. I think maybe the um, uh, they might have 
and I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was an offer, let's say, to Pete Carroll and say, hey, Pete, if you want to come back, we'd love to have you. Or an offer, you know, maybe two or three other people like that, two people, maybe two other people like that, where you, you don't have to interview the guy. You know, if the guy says yes, you say yes, okay? So I think there was some of that. And I think those interviews would be with agents or with people close to them where you're qualifying, you know, how much would it cost and is this something that, you know, will you think about it for a week or two or is it just no way, it's just not the right time or the right situation or whatever it is. But uh, we're hard-pressed. to say. And, and maybe they went back to Jack Del Rio, for example, who I think the more I know now, I think I would have probably offered it to him two years ago. And I think, uh, you know, they would have been better served if they to figure out a way to uh, deal with the timing um, and getting to know him a little bit more uh, when he came into the Hall of Fame uh, ceremonies and just hearing him talk about his USC experiences and, and just his vision for things, um, he would have been... So I wouldn't have, you know been surprised if they would have gone back to him and said, okay, we probably should have made it work last time. What are you thinking? And if those people all said, you know, it's just not the right time or not the right situation for us, at that point, I'm thinking they're thinking pretty strongly for Clay. I don't know that they wanted to get into one of those, well, can we get, you know, all the money that we would need for Clay or for Chip, you know, Chip uh, Kelly and then what about his, you know, NCAA show cars? And what about, I just don't think they wanted to do that. I just don't think they're necessarily geared up at USC to, to do that kind of thing right now. I don't know a lot of, you know, athletic directors. When you see some of the deals that have been made and some of the buyouts, when I read yesterday that the University of Kentucky football coach, Mark Stoops, who's got a 4-20 and record in the SEC, has a $16 million buyout. After four years, if they let him go, now he gets $16 million. I mean, it's such a, a mismatch with uh, schools and athletic directors going against these, uh, these uh, agents that uh, you probably don't want to put your, your guys into that situation too much. Um, so... You know, are they better off with the decision-making and the process the way they are now at USC with going this direction? I'm, I'm hard-pressed to say they're not. You know, Dan, for, Mar- for Stoops, I would bet, I'd be willing to bet his buyout of $16 million is more than the entire worth of Clay Helton's contract. So you're talking about the Kentucky bat- oh. football coach's buyout, not the basketball coach. The football coach's buyout is more than the entire contract of the USC football head coach. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. No question at all. That yeah. doesn't make any I mean, sense. I think, he, I think they gave him, you know, he had one relatively decent, not terrible year. I mean, you know, and that was winning games against, you know, non-conference teams, not winning any SEC games. And they acted like they were going to lose him. You know, like he never had a head coaching job before. He was the third Stoops brother. And so they, they added years to his contract. And, 
at increasing you know dollar value, and then guaranteed them. So then he ends up, as you said, like five years left, and you're thinking he's four and twenty in the SEC, and he's got five more years on his contract, and it's going to cost us sixteen million if we decide he's not the right guy. It's insane. Uh, so. Uh, I get nervous if you, you tell me, you know, my AD or somebody else's AD is, is negotiating with some of these agents. That's just, that's, uh, so if somebody says they talked to 17 agents and, you know, all of that, and then they didn't hire any, any of their, their clients, most of the time I'm saying, good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, but, I mean, you know, it may be apocryphal, but we're hearing $10 million for Chip Kelly. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's just, just nuts. So if you actually passed on some of that, I, I'm not terribly upset about that. We got one last one. Actually, looking ahead to Stanford, so we'll we'll get off the coaching thing for our last question. Said, uh, it's from John. It says, listening to the podcast after the Stanford game, it seems like the feeling was that USC could have won the game maybe just by pressuring Hogan and giving Adore Jackson the ball a couple more times. I think USC has a great shot at beating the Cardinal on Saturday. Which of the two teams do you think has improved more since week three of the season? Thanks for your time. Enjoy the trip to Santa Clara. John and Brea. Yeah, I mean, don't, I wouldn't want to say Stanford has in, in some ways. I mean, Hogan... I mean, the, the game he played against USC, everybody thought, holy cow, where did that come from? Because we were all basing so much on how he played against Northwestern. Uh, but, um, uh, I mean, Christian McCaffrey has become just a sensational player who does everything and is just a freak. I mean, he's just it's stunning how good he is and, you know, for a sophomore. Uh, and he certainly deserves that number five that he's wearing, you know, because he wanted to be like Reggie Bush. Uh, but um, uh, I think they've gotten better, except for the fact they really run out of defensive parts. I think they're 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 struggling, and uh, you know they they had trouble stopping Notre Dame on the ground. They've got you know backup corners. Uh, they've got issues, you know, on defense. So. I think USC's gotten better on defense. I think Stanford is not. Uh, I think you're right. USC couldn't have played worse. Couldn't have had a worse game plan, worse idea going into that game. And still, you know, they, they didn't get blown out. I mean, which they probably should. And Stanford came in and played perfect. I mean, Kevin Hogan, you know, hit every pass on the hands, on guys who caught every ball that hit their fingertips. Um, Will that happen again? I don't know, but uh, uh, they can't play any better than they did. I wouldn't think. Uh, you know, I didn't, you know, jinx anybody here, but um, and they were running free, and USC was staying back, you know, playing safe in zones and letting those big receivers run in front of them. Uh, I think one of the things they did against UCLA, they decided those UCLA big UCLA receivers couldn't run away from them. They weren't, you know, didn't have the kind of speed where they could, you know leave you behind and beat you deep. I think Stanford's very much the same situation. Big guys, but they're not going to run away from you, exactly. And uh, maybe you just have to crowd them and, uh, you know, get in their face. And uh, and uh, I think the UCLA game uh, might be a good, uh, you know, preview for uh, 
you know how you how you approach Stanford a little bit. And uh, I know Sue today said, um, now we know, for example, like Christopher McCaffrey, he ran through a lot of tackles, uh, you know, in Game Three. Uh, and we can't let that happen. We know how athletic he is, how explosive he is. And knowing that, and we just know, you know, you really got to win those one-on-ones and you got to take him down when you get the chance. And uh, at least they understand that now. It won't be a surprise. I mean, I, I don't think I had any idea his athleticism. I mean, I knew he was good, but we'd all seen the Northwestern game and we just didn't realize, you know, that now he's the best all-purpose runner in the country. And no question. He, he's nobody close. So now we know. And USC has to, I think, adjust accordingly. And, and I think they will. All right, Dan. Well, good stuff. Um, appreciate you coming on. I know you're on the cell phone today, so hopefully I'll apologize if it was a little harder to hear. But, you know, thanks for coming on, Cheryl. Your insights has been a crazy beginning part of the week. It's hard to just catch up. So we're trying to catch up with the podcast and everything on the site. Right. And, and, and I, you know, it doesn't cost any more this week to be positive. And I know that people are saying, well, what are the timing and what if they lose? What if they win? <laughs> they win. They're in the Rose Bowl. And people are saying, holy cow, that's the greatest choice ever and the greatest timing ever. I don't know how it's going to work out. But uh, I, I think it's been easier over the last number of years to look at the negative side of things, to say the least. I mean, nobody's had as much negative. You know, you start with Pete leaving in the NCAA. And, uh, you know, the actual effect of the sanctions and two mid-season coaching fires, I mean, that's just, that's impossible almost. So you can't blame USC fans for having that little sense of if it can go wrong, it's gonna. Uh, but, uh, what if it doesn't? You know, just think about that. I mean, it'll be like, you know, Christmas will come early if they, if they somehow get out of there Saturday. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And here's a quick message from our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael M O L I N E Real Estate you've been listening to the peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on trojan football and recruiting don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free just click the itunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for peristyle podcast at the itunes music store 